Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Good morning. How are we? Let's finish up Hosea this week. We've been walking through. This is our sixth week in the book of Hosea. Let me We have a lot of visitors today. Let me walk us through, remind us where we've been. Hosea is an Old Testament prophecy book. It follows the life of the prophet Hosea and his marriage to Gomer as a metaphor for God's relationship to Israel. If you remember in the days of Hosea, Israel had forgotten God. They had walked away. They had left him. They worshiped other gods. And Hosea's job was to call them back. And God used Hosea's story to call them back. And so week one, we looked at covenant love and we watched Hosea marry Gomer and celebrated their marriage, and it pointed us to God, how he made a covenant with Israel. Week two, Gomer leaves. She has affairs. She leaves, chases other lovers, and Hosea is left without her, represented of Israel leaving God. And we looked at tough love, week two, that Hosea said, you know what, if she's going to go, I will let her go, and it's going to go very bad for her. But that tough love was actually out of a good heart. It was a heart of restoration, not punishment, not, well, she's going to get hers. It's no, she's going to go. I've got a letter, but I know that sin doesn't play fair and it's going to hurt her. And when that happens, week three was tender love. When that happens, when she is broken, I will begin to lure her back to myself. He said, I will take her to the wilderness and I will speak tenderly to her that she might know that I love her and invite her back. Week four was sacrificial love where Hosea goes when Gomer never came back. She finds herself completely broken. Hosea goes and purchases her, buys her back to himself. As this really cool look forward to what Jesus would do on the cross when he purchased the salvation of people. He gave his life. He bought us. Last week, we saw this call from Hosea to Gomer and from uh, God to Israel to come back into covenant love. And the Hebrew word we looked at last week was yada. It means to know. It's this deep, intimate knowledge of yada, to know, is the same word used when it says, and Adam knew yada, his wife, and she became pregnant. And the call was for Israel to come and know the Lord, to come back, and not just sing songs and worship and and give sacrifices, but to pursue him and to know him. Yada, that was last week. I'm going to end this week. Hosea 14, looking at verse 1, and the idea this week is Hosea's love and God's love is relentless. It does not give up. Thank God. (laughs) It does not give up. 14, 1. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all our iniquity. Accept what is good, and we will pay with the bulls the vows of our lips. So we see again this call of Hosea pleading with Israel, return to the Lord that you may Yada, that you may know him, come back to him because his love is good. You can hear 
Hosea pleading with Israel, like, quit chasing after all these things that is just going to end in you getting destroyed. And it does. The Assyrian Empire is waiting to destroy them. Come back. And he, he, he names, he says, you have stumbled because of your iniquity. I mean, that is a reality of Israel's story is a constant stumbling into sin. They have completely forsaken Yahweh, their God. They worship a God named Baal, which part of that worship, they sacrifice their kids to this God. It's jacked up. Nicole, come back. You have stumbled into idol worship. Come back that you may know the Lord. And that's our invitation as humans because this is the Israel story is not just like confined to Israel, is it? It's the human story that we love idols. We love pursuing that which will satisfy us. And the call of God to us is, come back. You have stumbled. Come back. So let's talk about this idea of idols. Because the idol of Israel was Baal. Did anyone worship Baal this week? Probably not. But we have our own idols. There's a book by Tim Keller called Counterfeit Gods. I'd recommend you read it. He talks about this idea of idolatry and what this looks like for us. Here's what an idol is. An idol is anything that steals your affection from God. That's what an idol is, simply. So in Israel's case, Baal was a god they worshipped. They built these shrines, and that stole their affection. They put their affection to Baal. They prayed to him. They sacrificed kids. Their affection went to Baal. An idol is anything that takes your affection that has your affection more than God, that life would be meaningless without. That's an idol. Something we live towards with our our whole heart, with our passion, with our being. Now, there's some real obvious ones. Sex, money, power. Those are three big ones, right? How many uh, NFL people have fallen because of one of those three? How many politicians How many teachers, how many pastors? Money, sex, power. I mean, those are the three big ones. But here's the thing about idolatry is it's sneaky. Because for a lot of us, we may struggle with money, sex, power. But I guarantee you we have tons of other idols in our life that we may not even be aware of. See, here's here's the crazy thing. Anything can serve as an idol anything, especially good things, especially good things, sports. I I tease about Patrick Mahomes, right? I'm a Chiefs fan, but like your Sunday rising and falling on what happens with a piece of pigskin. And I've been there. I've been there. Good things, leisure, Vacations, leisure time, going to the beach, going to the lake, having fun, going hunting, like great things, very quickly become idols. Something that I must have in my life, something that I'm not willing to let go of, something that I live towards, I think about all the time. Here's one, kids. Kids are great gifts of God, but they make really bad gods. looking for my identity in my kids, pressing my kids to achieve something so that I can live vicariously through them. 
when my kids throw a temper tantrum in the middle of Walmart, automatically feel shame that I'm a bad parent. Anyone? Okay. Doctrinal truth. Church folk, we've got to be careful about that. I know what's right. All these other people are wrong. Can be an idol. Politics, I won't go there. Anything can be an idol. And, and the call of God to Israel is come back. Let's let go of this idol worship. And that's our call. Here's an idol. I want you to answer this question. If I just had blank. What do you dream of? If I just had this house, if I just had more money, if I just had this girl, if I just had blank. So I, I decided to draw this ahead of time. Um, actually, I didn't draw this. If you guys have seen me draw, you're like, yeah, that's a lot. Um, and we're going look to look at a scripture here. Let me, let me read the scripture to you. It's Hosea 10.12. He says this, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord, that he may come and reign righteous upon you. Just leave that verse up for a while, if you would. Here's the call to Israel's idol worship. He says, break up your fallow ground. Now, what's fallow ground? Fallow ground is think of a field that's never been plowed. It's never been worked. It's just overgrown. There's grass and there's weeds and there's thistles and briars. It's just, you, got, you have the image? And the image, the metaphor of fallow ground is if good fruit is going to grow, if good seed is going to grow in here, we've got to get rid of this. You've got to get rid of all this stuff or it'll just choke out the good seed. It won't even, the seed won't even get to the earth. And so if we look at these, things here is idols in our life that choke out the good work that God wants to do in our hearts, right? And so there's, you know, sex, money, power, there's some big ones, but where do you resonate with idols that may be good things? Because what idols do is they choke out our affection from God, they steal our hearts, we live towards them, but here's the bad thing about idols, they do not work, they can't satisfy they're not made to. If you want to find where your idols are, ask the question, if I just had blank, what's the blank? Here's another thought. See where you get angry. And I don't mean like this good righteous anger, but I mean this like furious, like this is not fair. See where you get angry. There might be an idol there. Because here's lust, and anger, they're the exact same thing. They're just different sides of the coin. What I lust for, I've got to have this. I will get really angry when I don't get it. Ask yourself, where do I get angry? When my spouse doesn't do this? Or, yeah, lust. Desire for something that can't do it. Another question, what do you immediately run to? You have a bad day at work. You're feeling lonely. You're feeling sad. What do you run? What soothes that for you? Maybe an idol in your life. Here, here's a question to ask. And not, please don't hear this in the like shameful, like, 
What do you post about on social media? Now, I'm not saying if you make a post, oh, that's an idol. I don't want us doing that with one another. Oh, yeah, Jeff, he's posting on this. That's an idol in his life. No, you don't know his heart. But just ask the question, like, what do I get really excited about? And just, boom, just automatically comes out. And could that be part of an idol in my life? Like, here's the reality, guys. Uh, guy said this a long, a long time ago. Your heart, my heart, is a factory of idols. I'm constantly producing idols. As a pastor at this church, you know what I have to fight about being an idol? This church. Finding my identity in what you all think about me. And I'm not going to lie and tell you, I come up here every week and I'm just pure-hearted and I just love Jesus. No, part of me comes up here and I want you to, I want you to like me. I want to be seen as smart and cool and all that, right? That's idols. And so the invitation of God is this verse, break up the fallow ground, break up this ground that's full of idols. We have them. God acknowledges we have them. So please don't say, do I have idols? Yes, you do. You do. But God's not saying, you big idiot, you jerk, how could you have? No, he's like, yes, you have idols. Israel, you stumbled. He'll say, church, you stumbled. You have idols. Let's break them up. Why would I do, why would I do, like it's hard work to plow up a field. Anyone done that? It's tough work, especially before tractors. (laughs) Why would I do that hard work? Because here's the reality. As great as some of these things are, they will not satisfy your heart. And whatever you look for as your idol, you will crush it under your weight of of your expectation. First few years of my marriage, I put all of my hope on Emily and what she thought about me. Her job was to always keep me happy, to cure any battle with lust I've ever had. Here's the problem with Emily. She's awesome, but she's not Jesus. She can't do it. And she will buckle under that weight I put on her. Parents, let me talk to you. Kids. I've worked with college students for years and, and, and working with, like, hear me. Your kids cannot take the weight of your expectations of your regrets from your life, of your insecurities. They can't take that weight upon themselves. And as parents, one of the main things we have to watch for is how am I, how are my fears, my doubts, my insecurities, my desires, how am I placing those on my kids in an unhealthy way? One of the things we see in counseling a lot in psychology is this idea, it's called triangulation. Okay, here's the idea, and it's in this line of making kids an idol. Here's the idea of triangulation. Let me make an upside-down triangle here. Okay, so these two dots up here represent the parent, mom and dad. And down here, this is the child. Here's what triangulation is. So in a healthy marriage, like parents should look to each other for support, for love, for encouragement, right? Now, not as like Jesus. They can't do it all, but there's this healthy level. I look to Emily for, for just companionship and to, to help me process things. Here's what triangulation happens. When one parent doesn't look here, but instead they look here. I see it all the time. Some very, very extreme cases, and probably with all of us parents, mild in in little ways. So what happens is one parent latches onto the child. Here's what it could look like. It could look like the dad pushing them for sports. You seen the dad losing on the sideline to the little game? Yeah. It could look like the mom 
pressing her daughter to look a certain way, to dress a certain way, to be thin enough, to have, to date the right guy. And what's happening is she's living vicariously through her child. But here's the deal. The child can't bear that weight, guys. They can't. They're not made to. So it creates this really weird dynamic with this child and this parent. Because on one hand, the child loves the attention and loves the, the feeling special. But on the other hand, they hate it. It's, it's a conflicting thing for a child. And then the problem with triangulation is you have this other parent, and now there's a weird dynamic here where this child kind of resents this other parent because it's like, I don't need to be doing I see it all the time. So this invitation of God, we have idols. Break up the fallow ground. Break up the idols in your life. Now, here's where it gets really, really complicated because it's not just on the surface that you have to look. It's not like, oh, am I, am I, am I drinking too much? Am I, am I chasing after? It's not just the surface because here's the reality. And if you've, if you've been through our green book, you've seen this stuff. Underneath all of these weeds, these idols in our life, are roots. And if you want to kill idols, what do we have to do? Talk to me. What do we have to do? Kill the root. Here's what he doesn't say. Mow the fallow ground. What happens if we mow this ground? It looks pretty for two days. And then they're right back. And that's the problem with sin management, a culture of sin management, which is I gotta stop doing this, I gotta stop doing this, I gotta stop doing this. It doesn't work because it doesn't get to the real issue. To break up fallow ground is to break up the roots that are supplying these weeds. Here's some potential roots security. I'm gonna chase money and worship money. Because I don't trust God. Jesus said the birds of the, 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 the fields don't worry about things. But like we worry. I, I got to have enough to be. Security could be. Here's a big one. Approval. I want to be approved of by other people. And so your chasing of success could be tied to your need, deep need for approval. And to realize I'm approved of in Christ. I don't need that. Break up the fallow ground. And so please hear my posture. It's not like all of you bad people. The reality, we all have idols, right? And God just acknowledges that. I, I love his honesty. Like, yeah, you have idols. Let's, let's break it up. Let's do some hard work. So I, I got invited Monday night to go to campus and, and talk to a campus ministry at Missouri State. And it's a great campus ministry that's reaching a lot of kids that used to be in like the party lifestyle. And here's what I told them, because here's what I found about students and college students and and just that whole party thing. It's not really about drinking a beer, because they really don't like how they feel at 2 a.m. It's more about being approved of by a culture. That's what it is. But here's what I told this campus ministry. If you're not careful, the very thing that drove you to party, approval, could be the very thing that drives you to have good Christian behavior in this campus ministry because you want to be approved of by one another. And it's, it comes from the exact same root. So God's not saying, all right, let's just try to 
manage all of our behaviors here on the surface. The invitation is, no, let's get deeper. And let's wrestle with what are the idols in my heart. Like Hill City, we all have work to do here. All of us do. We have work to do to ask ourselves what idols are driving me and ultimately are stealing my joy and affecting my relationships. So what do we do with these idols? It's the response to the gospel we talk about every week, faith and repentance. So with my idol of approval, here's what faith looks like. First of all, I confess that I have an idol of approval, but I look to Jesus, because one thing Jesus didn't have is an idol of approval. He didn't care. He was willing to be stripped naked on a cross. Jesus didn't have that. So I believe in Jesus who didn't have an idol of approval, and because I'm in him, he died for that, I'm, I'm right with God. I believe, faith. And then repentance is, okay, I invite myself to graciously turn away from that idol. Faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. A hundred times a day. Faith and repentance. When your kid loses it in the Walmart floor and every parent is looking at you. Parents, we all been there? Every parent looking at you with that look of, oh my gosh, you're such a bad parent. In that moment, because here's what we do. If, if we're not aware of our idols, we will unleash the wrath on that kid. Done that before. But it's not out of a heart of discipline. It's really because I'm embarrassed. So as my kid is screaming on the floor, faith and repentance. Jesus, you didn't deal with this. Like, I have an eye of approval. Mind, control. I want to control every situation. Anyone with me on this one? I want to control this. Okay, Jesus, you were able to let go of some things. You were able to give yourself over to the Roman government. Now, my righteousness in you, it's not in how my kid's acting right now. Praise Jesus. My righteousness in you, and now, because I have that righteousness, help me to lovingly discipline my child. Not out of this idolatry thing where they're making me look bad, but no, I care about, I care about them. See the difference? Break up the fallow ground. That's the invitation of God to Israel. Look at this. Break up the fallow ground. Look what he says. That he, it's time to seek the Lord. Break it, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. I, I hope you see God's heart in this book. It is not this, you better get this right. You guys are so, no, it's like, Israel, you have idols. I love you. I made a covenant with you. I want you back. Break them up. And here's the deal, Israel, as you do this hard work, I, the Lord, am ready to rain upon you blessing. Can you view God like that, Hill City? That he's not up there just like, get your, get your stuff together. He's like, yeah, you have idols. Let's break it up. And as you do, I will rain, rain righteousness, goodness upon you. That's a view of God that causes me to want to press in. To press into my junk. So let me ask a question. How do you view God? Like in the midst of your idolatry, your big, ugly, ugly weeds. How do you, do you view God as this kind God graciously saying, hey, come, let's break it up. I'll help you. This, I'll give you the Holy Spirit that will help you 
understand what's going on deeper. And as you do that work, I will rain blessing. Do you view God like that? Because here's how some of you view God. Look to the screen. Sorry, you guys, can you guys see it over here? The board? Oh, hood. Again? Gosh. Next one. Get your stuff together. Oh my gosh. I've been a Christian for 20 years. Next one. <laughs> Daniel, you told me you'd never do that again. I'm totally shocked that you did that. Here's a big one. Yeah, like God's speechless. You don't even know what to say because of what you've done. Here's one. Ashamed, embarrassed of you. See, if this is how you view God, you will never do the hard work here. You won't. You'll never feel worthy. You'll feel like he looks at this, he's angry at you. You you won't do the hard work. But here's the gospel. Next picture. That's how God looks at you. That's how God looks at you. In the midst of your junk, that's how God looks at you. Why? Jesus. If you are in Christ, if you are a believer, here's what the Bible says. You are hidden in Christ. When God looks at you, he does not see your sin. When he looks at you to determine your identity, does he love you? He does not look at your sin. What's he look at? Come on, what's he look at, Hill City? Jesus, period, on the cross. Therefore, when God looks at you, he delights over you. Parents, you know this for your kids. You, parents, do your kids frustrate you? Come on, someone from, whoever's in the back, thank you for, do they make you angry? How do they make you angry? Yes, but do you delight in them? Of course you do. So does your heavenly father. And if we can get our attitude changed about God's perception of us, it'll invite us to do the hard work in our lives to dig up this fallow ground. Hear me, Hill City, your past sins, your current struggles, your story of brokenness, in the midst of it all, you are deeply loved by God, deeply loved by God, and it's out of that love and his commitment to you that his invitation is break up the fallow ground. Let's break it up. But you have it. We have it. All of us do. One of the things that, like, one of the things I love about this church is, is many of the people that come to our church that knew have never been in a church before, or maybe grown up in one. But like, we're not getting a ton of just church hoppers, which I really love. That we're getting people that's disconnected, and, and it's so cool because. And our heart for you is that you would see in the midst of whatever you're going through, you're loved by God. And his invitation to you is, come under my love. Let's do some work in your heart. Respond to me. We have baptism coming up in like a week or two. Some of you need to get baptized. Like you're here. You, be- you believe Jesus, you're here, you're committed. But you've looked at these things in your life as the reason you should not get baptized. Can I tell you, these are the very reasons you should get baptized. Because baptism is saying, I can't do it on my own, I need you. That's what baptism is. 
And for some of you, just that act of obedience and baptism will be the first step in you starting to address these things in our life that we all have. Hosea 14, verse 4. He keeps going. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned from them. I want you to hear the hope in this book because Hosea has had a lot of different stuff going on. I will be like the dew to Israel. And he shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. Those are big, sturdy, tall trees. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow, for they shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Do you hear the blessing of God ready for Israel? Return to me, and you will get unmerited favor. They deserve nothing here. Gomer deserves nothing It's unmerited favor, and I will just rain goodness and blessing and flourishing upon you. That you will dwell beneath the shadow of my branches. That's rest. It's goodness. God's inviting his people into what he's going to do. That Israel, growing up like this tree and spreading out, is not just about them. It's actually about the Messiah that would come and Make them famous because it's through them that Jesus would come. It's God's commitment to making a new people, a new identity. God is deeply committed to his people, his covenant people. Christians, that's you. Covenant people of God. And God is deeply committed to renewing you, to making us into a new type of people. A new type of people that are learning to plow up all the brokenness that caused just destruction, this this endless cycle of destruction in our world. A new type of people that's willing to break this up. A new type of people, Jews and Gentiles together, the church, of people that he has reconciled to himself. It's his commitment, a new identity. He's committed to you in making a new people in Jesus. So here's what God will do through broken Israel. After some years will pass, there will be a new new human that will come. Born from the seed of Jesse, just as was promised. And this new human will come and he will faithfully obey God. He will follow him. This new human will live the life The humans were called to live back in the Garden of Eden but could not live. He will faithfully live that life. And he will die on a cross to pay for the people, you and I, who did not faithfully live that life. It's a promise of blessing and flourishing in Christ through Israel, a broken people. If God can do that in Israel in the midst of their brokenness, could he do that in you? you think he could be committed to you in making you a new type of person? Full, you're full of idols, of course you are, so am I. That he's committed to 
breaking up that fallow ground to helping you live as a new type of person, to give you the Holy Spirit to teach you and help you discern the deep things of the heart. That's the Christian life. That's something to live for. And one of my biggest frustrations in the, in, around Christians when rules become the point. Don't do this, 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 and this. That is not the point. The point is come and be a new people, a flourishing people, people of goodness and beauty and love, not, hey, Israel, stop doing these things. No, come into a new calling that I have for you, a new identity. Verse 9, as we finish this up. Here's the closing remarks of the book of Hebrews. I love this. Whoever is wise, there's a choice today. Are we going to listen? And this wise is not like, are we smart, intellectual? It's wise is this word for, for being willing to live the way God's called us to live. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things, meaning this book of Hosea. Like God's gift to you is the book of Hosea for you to understand his heart and the heart of man. Whoever's wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. Hear, hear this. We, we all got to hear this. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Here's what the, here's what the writer is wanting, his, his final sentence on his book. Let the one who is wise listen. The ways of the Lord are right. They're good. They're flourishing. The ways of the foolish are death, they're destruction, they're brokenness, they're endless cycles of abuse and shame and greed. And the ways of the Lord are right. So walk in them. Let's be committed to being a new type of human, learning to walk in the ways of the Lord because the ways of the Lord are good. It's a call from an old, I have this picture of an old man looking at this book and writing to the next generation, hey, the ways of the Lord are good. They're better than your idols. Can you believe that? Can we look at our idolatry and feel the invitation of God to break up fallow ground? And, and here's the reality. I've got to get this in our culture of individualistic, like you can't do this alone. We need one another. Guys, on my own, I will never be aware. I'll, I'll be aware of the big things. I'll never be aware of these things, especially the hard idols on my own. I can fool myself like that. I need other people. Emily and I are, are going for four days to a workshop this week to dig into our hard idols and our past and our stories. I'm really excited about that. It's, it's tough. Why? Because we want to flourish. We don't want to pass things to our kids. We don't want to create, right? we, we want flourishing. And that's the invitation of God is do the hard work, break up these idols because flourishing will come. This is why we want you to be in city groups. Like city groups aren't just cool little Sunday school classes for us to say I'm in a group and I have people to hang out with. The goal of that is you do hard work together. City group leaders, city group, can I just plead with you? Can we, and I'm not saying you do this, I've just been in, in groups before in, in Christianity. 
where we sit around and we're like, oh, I like this part. Or, yeah, like, I'm impatient sometimes, and sometimes I'm bad about judging. Oh, me too. Next person. Okay, see you next week. Oh, my gosh. Anyone with me? Because that type of community will do nothing here. It will keep us bound to our idols. City groups, press in. Okay, I have this. Okay, we probably all do. Why? Why do I have this? Help me dig. Give me the courage to look at this. Help me be kind to myself as I look at this in my story. We need one another to dig into that. City groups, let's, let's break up ground with one another and see what the Lord will do, us, do in us as we do. So Hosea is calling Israel back to their calling, their kingdom calling. He's called Gomer back to himself to be reconciled, to live with him in this flourishing life. And so in, in closing, I want us to see this. The Christian life does not stop with don't do bad things. That's not the point of your redemption, is you not doing bad things. The point of your redemption is new, living as a new person with a kingdom calling. The goal, as we break this up, is not to say, wow, I did that. No, the goal is to plant good seeds that grow fruit. To be a new type of person that goes in your workplace, instead of having this competitive drive that just causes you that you bring kindness and goodness and patience and self kingdom calling. And so we've got to make sure as we wrap up the book of Hosea, it's not just about I got to not sin. No, it's about you stepping into the good works that God has for you. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand for you that you would walk in them. God has uniquely gifted you. Hear me, Hill City Christians. God has uniquely gifted you to press back darkness in this world. To be a new type of person that's bringing goodness and love. And you won't do it if you won't be willing to break up the ground. I promise. Fruit can't grow in the midst of this. But as you do that hard work, God will renew you, renew your past, renew your story into really good things. One of the things I believe, I've seen this over and over, your calling, your kingdom calling, comes out of your story. The brokenness in your life, I've, I've seen it once, I've seen it a thousand times. The brokenness in your life, as you do the hard work, will become your kingdom calling. Gomer, has she fallen? Has she stumbled? Yeah, she has. Is there anyone better in Israel to be better equipped to walk with women that are living promiscuous lives than Gomer? She's been there. She can sit across the table and say, honey, I was there. Yeah, I thought that guy would give me everything. He won't, and here's... She's equipped. See, the goal of the Christian life is not just not sinning. The goal of the Christian life is stepping into your kingdom calling as a new person, a new human, with a new identity. And so this book ends with hope. It ends with hope that the Lord will renew and sustain his people, that he will make a new covenant with them and it will not be found on their faithfulness and be found on his faithfulness.